Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. False fathers and the forsaken children and let them come quickly for a voice of crying is heard out of Zion for we are greatly confused for death has come into our ghettos to cut off the young men and women from the streets of Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, and throughout America, South America, the Caribbean islands, Africa, Asia, and all over the world. So return unto me, thus saith Yah, and I will return unto you, O my people. Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. 
This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Reggie. The numbers to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. we still uh, uh, using the Skype line also at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. We're streaming live at four locations. You can go to the Time for Awakening uh, website at timeforanawakening.com and listen to the live stream there. You can also tune in at www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an Awakening. You can go to YouTube. We're streaming live there on YouTube also at, at blacktalkradionetwork.com or you can go to TuneIn. TuneIn is a free app. You can download it to any of your devices, your your uh, your tablet, your iPhone, your desktop, iPad. Download TuneIn and in the search engine type in Time for an Awakening and hear the live stream there. You can even stream it into your automobile, into your car. That's Time for Awakening streaming at four locations. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. That's Time for an Awakening at gmail. Dot com. Time for Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In the Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program there. You'll always see interesting content being posted by Brother Reg. And before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And also Time for Awakening media has been launched in the search engine. Or make it or one of your favorites. Just type in Time for an awakening.com that's time for an awakening.com and that'll take you straight to time for an awakening media there you'll see blogs podcasts of the programs that you can download listen to and later time share with your friends so put that in your in your address bar and make that one of your favorites that's time for an awakening.com time for an awakening.com will take you straight to time for an awakening media tonight Another follow-up to the State of the Black World Conference and another interesting and profound guest is joining us tonight. Activist and former director of the Black Theology Project, Dr. Iva Carruthers, is with us this evening. And uh, post-State of the Black World Conference discussion, we'll touch on uh, uh, Dr. Carruthers' work, ongoing work. She wears several hats. We'll touch on reparations first because she's been doing yeoman work in reparations for a number of years. And then we'll reach out and touch on the State of the Black World Conference, her assessments, opinions. Uh, Dr. Carruthers chaired the Religion and Spirituality and Liberation Workshop. And we'll get her uh, feelings and assessments on all the work that was done there. We'll be right back to get things started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, 
our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley antiquity to the present our people need to develop a new paradigm it's time for an awakening sundays 7 p.m with your hosts elliot and reggie welcome back to time for an awakening and before we get started this evening with our special guest dr Ivor carruthers i want to play a little segment uh featuring the voice of our guest uh let me cue this up if i can uh find it here third point which is that we have to create a two track trajectory around reparatory justice and reparations we have to one repair the damage within while strategically putting demands upon the enemy who is perpetuating a genocide against us. And when I speak from the when I speak about the enemy within, I'm particularly focused on the consequences of the diasporic living in transgenerational racialized trauma. Joy DeGreer calls it the post-traumatic slave stress syndrome. Joyce King talks about it as disconsciousness a process leading to racial dissonance. Francis Cress Welsing lifts up the notion that we have to understand the power of what it means for us to think about the color of God and Christianity. Henry McNeil Turner in the 1800s gave a prophetic sermon that was called God is a Negro. My mentor and mentor to many in this room, John Henry Clark, left us with his autobiographical short story, The Child Who Painted Christ Black. But then John also said that any people who allow another to define and colonize their image of God is doomed to enslavement. 
And so I'm suggesting that our Pan-African spirituality is what we have to go back and fetch in terms of Sankofa. Mrs. Young calls that spirituality that renews, that reforms, that recreates and restores African people to the integrity of their persons. This revolutionary spirituality is the gift source from God of a visible regeneration that is liberation. And so in addressing the constellation of soul, spiritual, and psychic injuries as the enemy within, it is apparent that many of our people have no conscious understanding of the power of their African spirituality. Mm -hmm. And so again, this conversation about spirituality, religion, and liberation which I'm looking so forward to hearing from the panelists, as James Cone would say, true identity with the divine makes all slaves rebel against their master. So if you don't have a true identity with the divine, you will not rebel. <laughs> the voice you heard was the voice of our guest, Dr. Iva Carruthers. Dr. Carruthers. Yes. Good evening. How are you? How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm glad you could join us on time for an awakening. Dr. Carruthers, I played that little clip to kind of set the tone for our conversation this evening. I, I want to touch base with you on several things. Uh, reparations we're going to start first with, and then I want to uh, uh, segue into the uh, the uh, uh, segment of the uh, State of the Black World Conference that, sh that you chaired, the uh, the one on religion, spirituality, and liberation, the workshop that you chaired. But first, let's, uh, Dr. Grellos, give me your opinions and your reflections first on the State of the Black World Conference number four. Now, you weren't there for the whole conference. I think you were there for a couple of days. Uh, but give me your assessments on, on uh, uh, the work that was done uh, the amount of people that were there that were dedicated, the amount of young people. Just give me your overall assessments of uh, what you saw. Well, I can tell you that my spirit was renewed by the time I was there and the energy in the room, um, the representation, as you've mentioned, of the different generations who were present, um, the attentiveness and the clarity uh, with which persons both spoke and listened, and um, the range and interdisciplinary approach to the conversation um, were all hopeful signs that we're on the right track and we're moving in the right direction. I never evaluate movements by the numbers. It's not about rallies. It is about the uh, continuous attention, commitment, and dedication um, to stay focused and strategic. And so I was inspired by my time there. Okay. And um, as I said, you chaired the uh, work session on uh, spirituality, religion, and uh, liberation. And we'll get to that uh, in the, in the uh, second portion of, uh, of the program. But first... I want to touch base on some of your yeoman work that you've been doing over a number of years on reparations. Uh, during the conference, uh, you didn't share that uh, particular work session, but you spoke uh, on the Pan-African Institute and reparations. Uh, I think you spoke behind uh, Brother Hillary Beckles. Um, talk about your work 
uh, Dr. Carruthers in regards to reparations. And before I say that, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that you have put in dealing with reparations. Um, in 2001, the World Conference on Racism in Durban, South Africa, uh, you addressed the UN. Uh, your writings, your published writings were distributed among several countries uh, dealing with reparations. And at, I want to start this conversation off like this. You know, you talk to a lot of our people and people in general. I, I have a business where I deal with the public. And when you mention reparations, the first thing that comes to a lot of black folks' minds is, well, we'll never get it. But I say this, reparations, the reparations movement is just like other movements out here, uh, positive movements that, that, uh, that'll change the dynamic of our people. And everybody is not going to be involved. It takes a special person. It takes a special group of people to forge the way for a lot of our people. Uh, groups have been involved in reparations such as in Cobra, uh, uh, Conrad Warrell and M. Buff, uh, Ron Daniels with the Institute of the Black World, individuals such as yourself, uh, Dr. Hillary Beckles, uh, Ray Winbush with his published writings. T talk about the uh, the work that has been done in reference to uh, reparations worldwide for, for our people uh, here in the diaspora. And let me say this, Dr. Carruthers, before you start your conversation. Mm -hmm. It was a published report in um, September. And that was during the time of all this back and forth with the Democrat and Republicans uh, show that went what, what was going on. The published report said that uh, the U.N. came out with a resolution that the United States should pay reparations for slavery. And the assessment that they came up with or the conclusions that they came up with started for 14 years, I think from 2002 to the present. A lot of the work that they based their assessment on was work that you and others submitted. But it kind of went by the boards because it wasn't talked about in popular media. It wasn't even talked about uh, among black media. Uh, the two candidates that were running in the Democratic Party said that they weren't interested in talking about reparations. But talk about the conclusions that the UN came up with based off work that you were a part of, Dr. Carellis. Well, I think you're referring to... Yeah, we got a Can little... Yes, go ahead. Yes, I'm back. Okay. Um, I think you were referring to the inquiry um, with the working group of experts on people of African descent, um, essentially being a, um official representative group that would come to the United States um, really in a quite historic process of looking at the consequences of racial discrimination on people of African descent. And having listened um, to testimonies and experiences and a submission and reading of documents of evidence 
um, from multiple cities. Um, this objective international uh, group of experts concluded, as you have indicated, that indeed um, reparations was due. Um, I think that the it, when you say that many of us say it will never happen, mm-hmm. uh, part of the fundamental question becomes what is the it? And as long as we see reparations as it meaning merely a financial transfer, we will never fully understand the importance of reparations for our self-interest in terms of the healing from the trauma that we have experienced. And that's particularly where the voice of spirituality and religion come to the conversation about reparations. But if we were to go back in the United States to, and I have to lift up Mother Callie House, um, whose movement understood and began this movement in terms of um, our our, our contemporary uh, quest um, for uh, reparations, Uh, we will see that it was understood then as a movement that not just talked about the demand for payment for work, but also for us to reclaim and for uh, them to acquiesce to our full human dignity and that we would do that and we would not rest until we got that. So... When we talk about reparations and we talk about the it of it, I think we have to talk about what that means in the fullest of what it means to repair the damage, what it means to make us whole again. They can never pay us, as Martin Luther King said, who spoke of reparations. They can never repay us for the work that we did. We can attach some monies to it, but for the suffering and the pain and the travail from the first snatching of our bodies from African soil, that cannot be quantified in terms of the transgenerational trauma and pain and suffering and degradation that we have experienced. And I think many would say, It's only because of a God that we serve and a faith that has allowed us to find the spiritual fortitude that we have been able to say, as Maya Angelou say, and still we rise. Dr. Carruthers, the intellectual warfare, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that have been going on against our people, and a perfect example of it was the conclusions that the UN reached in reference to uh, reparations for descendants of, uh, of former slaves. This didn't reach the media. It wasn't a conversation point on any of these talking head shows that you see. And it wasn't a conversation point among the few shows that we have on on uh, the television. But the 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 realization of reparations is going to come from the hard work of our people and also the re-education of our children and of our adults 
uh, African-centered education for our children is going to be essential in them understanding the need for our people to be repaired. Uh, talk about that from your perspective as a, a sociologist and an educator. Well, for sure. the It will only happen when, first of all, we feel worthy enough that it should happen. Okay. And when we feel worthy that it should happen, then we will make the demand and do what is necessary. But as you pointed out, one of the prerequisites is going to be the re-education, um, the counter-education that has to go on in order for us to discover ourselves, for us to discover our history. I call it to engage in a process of educational Sankofa where we have to go back and find who we are and to understand the depth of our humanity that, in fact, created civilization. And once we discover the power that we once had, the ways in which the world was organized around relationships that allowed for full expression of our humanity, once we discover that in one another, then we can transform the rest of the world without a doubt. And it begins with, unfortunately, our children now being absorbed by a culture which socializes them to think outside of themselves, to act outside of themselves, and to not be themselves, and in fact to be on a quest to be somebody else. Okay. And the manifestation of that has to do with how we treat one another, how we dress, how we see one another, how we um, deny and have a lack of consciousness about our past, how we define where we're going in terms of our destination. And there needs to be a revolutionary paradigm shift in terms of education of our children so that wherever they go, they never lose their sense of consciousness of identity. And we are engaged in a war, an intellectual war, a social war, an emotional war for the minds, spirits, and bodies of our children. And African-centered education can be a response to that, but we cannot expect anyone to provide us with African-centered education other than us. Okay. Dr. Carellos, I, I want to get uh, Brother Richard White involved in the conversation. He's uh, uh, co-hosting the program this evening. Uh, but before I uh, bring Brother Richard in, uh, Dr. Carellos, give us an overview of the 2001 uh, World Conference on Racism in Durban, South Africa. Uh, as I recall... Uh, Bush, President Bush at the time, uh, said that America wasn't going to send representation, and Israel joined them. Uh, mm-hmm. And black politicians that supposed to represent black folks uh, did what uh, Bush said, and they didn't go. But the people that were there were grassroots people, uh, interested brothers and sisters 
organizations and movements that represented that really represented our people and you were one of them uh talk about the the give us a, a kind of feeling of what the other nations felt about what you and others were presenting did it seem like that they just going through the motions like sometimes uh these people here when you when you're talking about reparations with Europeans here in the states or did it seem like the other nations of the world were really interested in what black folks were saying well i think it depends on on, on who we're talking about okay. i think that for sure um other nation states which represented african people were under a lot of pressure to acquiesce to the dangling of the dollars that the U.S. represented and its position represented. Okay. And so we were blessed to have been represented, as you said, by um, persons that really represented the grassroots of our community who did a yeoman's job of navigating those political waters and getting, um, despite the consequences, getting the support that was needed from other parts of the African world. And to the extent that, therefore, there was victory in us having a sense of unity that, indeed, um, the transatlantic slave trade was determined to be a crime against humanity. I did find it interesting that there was quite a great deal of presence around other peoples who were oppressed by the European Western hegemony who also organized in their various pockets from Palestinians to uh, the delete in India, um, who identify as uh, African people of legacy, right? Um, but the on the floor where you had delegate status, and there were, I think, three of us who were Africans from the U.S. who had delegate status. Um, you could see that the issue was, of course, not an issue that represented the entire um, interest of the European world. Okay. But we came out victorious as long as we understand that this is a struggle over time that represents our or demands our ongoing um, attention to moving the needle. And so Durban, from the point of view of the U.S. narrative, was a failure. But in fact, it was a stepping stone and a victory to where we are right now with the demand for reparatory justice as a global African people. So I would say that um, I was there representing um, the voice of faith, and my work had been to document and denounce the role of the Christian church for the demand for reparations and the role of the Christian church in terms of the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. The research I had done had been translated in three languages, um, in Portuguese, which allowed for the brothers from um, Angola and, and Brazil to, for the first time, be able to see our story in their indigenous 
well, not their indigenous language, but in the language of their uh, colonizers. Um, and then it was translated in Spanish and in French. Well, that allowed for another level of conversation to occur because we broke through that language barrier. But the church has been one of the places where reparations has occurred in a modicum sense, in a a minor sense, in an effort to um, at least penetrate the legitimacy of the demand and then to call for fulfillment of that demand as it relates to um, both financial transactions and as it relates to um, some semblance of repentance and the language of repentance and restitution. I'm going to get, uh, like I said, I'm going to pass to Mike and get Brother Richard involved. Brother Richard White wears several hats here in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, he also sits on the board of the African American Museum here and is also a tour guide at the museum. Brother Richard. Uh, how you doing, Elliot? <laughs> and, and to the listening community, and <clears throat> welcome, uh, Mama Carruthers. I'm, I'm honored uh, uh, to, to have a time to interact and speak with you. I also was a member of uh, ASCAT, the Association of Study African Classical Civilizations, and you and Baba Jake were um, always inspirational to us who attended the different conferences um, at the time I was attending. So I'm mm-hmm. honored to speak with you now. And you know, as you as you were speaking, the the where you started from was an interesting point, and I know Elliot, you said you wanted to deal with the spirituality piece. But we always said, I was in, uh, a member of Encobra also, and when we um, started the Encobra chapter in Philadelphia, which is still going on, um, one thing we really was emphasizing that reparation wasn't, as you say, just looking for something from someone else, but from the point of healing, um, self-healing, that the repair that we had to do on ourselves. So I, I, um, I, I'm glad that you brought that point up about healing um, and, and the necessity for us to take that agency ownership over our own self-healing as a part of the reparation process. Um, first and foremost, I would say, and I would want to know, would you agree with that um, on that point? What, do you think that healing should be, um, self-healing um, should be the first and foremost perspective, even though we have a broader agenda around repair? Well, absolutely, because I think that is the um, the place where you begin to find your own voice in the demand for reparations externally, and that becomes an uncompromised demand mm-hmm. until... And unless you get it, you will not sleep. You will not rest. But if you don't feel worthy of it, then you can do all those other things in the world and feel quite comfortable thinking that you are free and deluding yourself and then being surprised when you wake up to an electoral outcome that you didn't anticipate. Mm. And that's and that's and that's uh, as we always say that's powerful and and, and so important. 
my mind was, and you you, you brought up uh, uh, Sister Carrie uh, Colley House, and at that mm-hmm. point with the Ex Slave Association um, mm-hmm. that they had in the 18, late uh, late 1800s, and and it, and I don't know if this is an unfair question, but I was wondering because I've seen in them organizing for the that um, the the re, the what they were asking for from the government as far as for the um, veterans that um, had fought in the um, Civil War. I believe that mm-hmm. was the Civil War, yes. Um, for, you know, compensation. And were, I wanted to, I always wanted to see how do you compare the us as a people at that time um, asking for going through both process, the healing and, 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 the, and the demand, compared to us as a people now, generations, um, a few generations removed. Um, and uh, uh, how, do you, how do you gauge that? Because I think that's important for us to see the momentum and the, the, the and tenacity they had, uh, and do we have the same? Yeah, I um, unfortunately um, think that they were in a stronger position spiritually and emotionally (laughs) to carry forth the movement. Wow. Um, And that with each generation, we have lost a sense of identity and purposeful living and a sense of dignity and respect that allows for us to um, pull forth deeply um, from the spiritual well that we need in order to put forth a, a, a liberatory uh, movement. And I think some of that comes from our denial about the extent to which the terror and the trauma and the demonization that we have experienced across generations is very much embedded in who we are, our consciousness, and even in our DNA. In other mm-hmm. words, that kind of unaddressed trauma is a part of our cellular, psychological, emotional, spiritual um, understanding of self in a way that unless we address it and confront it, we will increasingly lose our children because they will not have a sense of who they are and purposeful living. They will not have a vision, and they have lost hope. And in losing that hope, they've lost their humanity in a way that allows them to turn on themselves. Elliot, is it possible I can, if I can ask, like, a couple or two more uh, questions? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go to the break in another five minutes, but go ahead, Rich. Um, and, and thank you, Mama Crowley, for your response. Um, as you and Ellie were speaking, uh, another um, story question came to my mind because of uh, when you said the uh, the South African, um, you know, the conference that had occurred in South Africa, that it, um, you've seen it as a success, and uh, um, one and in your paper being um, presented in the, those multiple languages, and it made me think of um, one thing that we used to always um, emphasize when we go from to our ancient civilization and perspective the point of the power of Nomo. And you were raising the question about narratives, you know. Um, and at that point, it was, you know, you all created and had uh, a narrative that touched um, our, I, I don't think people mind me saying, the spirit of our African self. Um, and 
it seems to have rise at that moment. Um, or do you see with the Caribbean coming, um, um, pushing for um, making the announcement uh, about the need for reparations? And I think that was a part of the conference. They they spoke at the conference, or it was representatives um, to, at the conference of, um, that occurred a couple of weeks ago. That that was the continuation of that power of the narrative, that power of NOMO, um, that now even the Caribbean is, um, countries are saying the importance of, of the world, European world, to recognize that they are also on board, that reparations has to be considered and paid. Right, and so NOMO in two ways. NOMO the word you know what? in terms of our... Dr. Robert? Yes. Uh, we get a little interference. I don't know uh, whether you're on a landline or your cell. Uh, I'm on a landline. You are? Mm-hmm. You know what? L- l- this will do. We'll take a brief break, and uh, we'll come back. And I want you to just hang up and then dial back in, uh, okay. Dr. Corrales. That'll be good. Okay. We'll All right. We'll take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Ivor Carruthers, and you can be involved, too, at 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Antiquity to the present, 
Our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening. Sundays, 7 p.m. with your host, Elliot. And Gratitude. Man, let me tell you, reparatory justice. More I'm telling you, man. See, I'm an old man now. I don't have time to pussyfoot around with no truth. I'm too damn old for that. But if you really want to get something out of this, you got to bring something to the table. And the something that you bring to the table first is the strength of the truth of your demand. Was it Frederick Douglass who said, power concedes nothing. Without a demand, and I would add to my dear brother, yeah, and the demand won't even be heard unless there's power backing up the demand. So if this brilliant scholar and the other scholars and diplomats with him pull the criminals into a room to discuss a 10-point plan. And they say, you know how they talk. What you got? We're not going to do it. What, huh? what you got to make us do? Well, if we backing the scholarship in every city, in every town, in every nation where Africa's children have suffered, realize that this is the time for reparatory justice, then we stand behind them. Now we got to be able to do something to hurt the enemy otherwise. And be willing to hurt him. Don't talk this reconciliation crap. Excuse me. I'm a spiritual man and I ain't feeling too good. But I look, 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 look. How you gonna reconcile? with somebody that has done you so evil and there's, okay, I'm going to apologize. That's right. These people don't even want to apologize. You got to fight them to get them to say, I'm sorry. So look at the language. <coughs> we, we regret, yeah, see? And then they use a conditional, should have. We, we, we should have. Recognize you all differently. We should have. Should is conditional. What is the condition that should have been present that would have allowed them to see us as human beings? See, if you don't want to go to the root of this thing, you can't uproot the tree. 
it wasn't just Britain. All them white nations were of the same mind. All of them. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. We're joined in conversation this evening with activist, former director of the Black Theology Project, and she wore many hats over her years of contributing to our struggle. Dr. Iva Carruthers is with us in conversation. Dr. Carruthers, are you back? I am back. <laughs> okay. You know, I played that segment of Minister Farrakhan, uh, talking about the scholarship that was there fighting for our people, which you were one of them and talked about an uncompromising demand, which you stated earlier. Um, I, I did want to mention that and play that in reference to uh, our conversation earlier, but brother Richard, uh, I don't know whether you, uh, was able to catch all of that question that he said, because you kind of broke up, but did you, brother Richard, you want to restate what you said before? I, cause there's a couple of callers, but, uh, go ahead and restate what you had asked, uh, Dr. Carellas. I was, I was just, um, yeah, mentioning success from the conference in South Africa. So I was, um, you know, and you had mentioned about narratives, you know, being able mm-hmm. to present the narrative. And I was just, um, it sparked me to think about the uh, expression NOMO. And I, and I, uh, and I wanted to, I thought afterwards, you know, maybe you can explain, uh, because I think it connects to that, that spiritual aspect that you say is necessary for our healing, what no more means, and how does that, when we talk about now in the Caribbean recently, um, giving expression the need for reparations from a, a, a nation-state perspective. Um, and I wanted to know what that, the power of that, what y'all did in South Africa to, to create that narrative, and you say that development, um, this is the a part of a part of that outcome, that success that you mentioned. Well, let me answer in a couple of ways. I'm reminded of the words of Asa Hilliard, who talked about the Western civilization uh, being built by myth makers and that we have to become myth breakers. And so it's this work of creating counter narratives to um, the myths that they have told, which represents the power of nomo. Nomo meaning the word of God in the terms and the language that we just heard from Brother Minister Farrakhan. It's about the truth. Um, and one of the things that he said at the early part, the part you just played, he says you have to believe in the truth of your demand. That's what I'm talking about. You have to believe in your divinity first. And then from that, that you have truth and you represent truth and your humanity demands that you make the demand for your truth. And in that sense, NOMO, for me, there there, there are two parts of that that I think represent what part of what we gained in at the Durban Conference. One was we broke some linguistic language barriers. I mean, the result of conversations of scholars and people who were working in communities to be able to talk about their shared experiences as African people despite language barriers and ethnicities became a next level of movement building that was very important. And so in response to 
people being able to get the African Heritage Bible, for example, um, in some of my engagements or reading about the church and reparations in their um, language got conversations going which would never happen before. But the other part of that nomo is the deep spiritual word that comes forth because it allows us to transcend those same um, differences that are expressed and walk around in, quote, religious cross, cloth, but really represents the diversity underneath it all, though, is the commonality of the African spirit. And it's that manner of spirit that John Henry Clark talked about when he talked about we cannot allow other people to colonize our understanding of God and divinity. It's that kind of spirit that Howard Thurman, the theologian, talked about when he said, I'm trying to understand what was the power of the spirit of my people that allowed them to survive the Middle Passage. And so when we came to Hence um, a couple of weeks ago, to the Institute of the Black World, and there's a, a panel on the role of spirituality, religion, and liberation and connecting those dots, it really represented a call for us to understand that you cannot have a successful movement if you don't tap into that spirituality. And that spirituality is transcendental. It will allow us to connect to brothers and sisters who don't share the same physical context or geographical or cultural context per se, who live in a different nation state, who may speak a different language, but allows us to understand what it means to be an African person in a world that is organized against us. And so when we can get our children to believe in the truth of our demand, we will automatically be on a trajectory where we organize our minds, we organize our communities, and we organize the resources the financial capacity that gives us the independence to do the transformative work that is the work of reparatory justice. It's not towards this destination of reconciliation. It's towards transforming the world order. Thank you. Dr. Carruthers, you know, you you just segued right into the, uh, from reparations to the, uh, spirituality, religion, and liberation uh, uh, workshop that you uh, chaired. Talk mm-hmm. about because you know what I, I on this program we talk a lot about religion. We've had historians, a litany of historians, on here talking about the mm-hmm. spirituality of our people and how it uh, aligns or sometimes not aligned with religion. But talk about the some of the generational differences around spirituality and religion among our people in our community? Well, if I can go back to the question that was asked about uh, when Callie House and Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Dickerson founded um, that movement. Um, and I said our people were perhaps stronger than spiritually. Okay. Um, when we think about that, in comparison to where we are now, then I think what we can witness is that a part of the strength, the beauty, and the challenge and the call of the Black Lives Matter movement is that they don't intend to be co-opted by false prophets. 
and that they are, I have found them not to be um, anti-spirituality and anti-spirit, but they do not want to succumb to the authority of false prophets who walk around with religious piety. And so the generational gap in terms of religion is often a result of us coming to grips and to terms with the difference between our understanding of spirituality and what it means to adhere to religious practices and customs. Dr. Carruthers, now, to my estimation, there's a huge difference between spirituality and religion. Mm -hmm. In my estimation, I think our people are too locked into religion here in this country of our former chattel enslavement and too far away from spirituality, especially the spirituality of our ancestors. Talk about that in relation to your work and your expertise. Well, as the General Secretary of the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, we represent the uh, part of the black church experience that grows out of what's called the prophetic tradition, uh, meaning that we see at, at the core and at the intersection of what it means to practice our religion is the demand for justice, justice at the intersection of what it means to be human and to be in relationship with God, okay? And that, though, is just one segment of the black faith tradition. And so when you correctly acknowledge that many people who practice Christianity are practicing a Christianity that does not necessarily affirm Um, the spirituality that resides in understanding the fullness of your African humanity, then you are, in fact, suggesting and affirming that there is this difference that means we are confused. And we are going down multiple paths. And so what happens is that the basic tenets of Christianity were African tenets of humanity and religion. And it has to do with, in the Congo, they talk about it as living under the belly or living in the belly of God, meaning everything you do, God sees. And so you have to be conscious of what it means to do right and to be right. And it's not enough just to talk about it. It has to be expressed in the way in which you treat one another. That, in terms of being manifested in Western experience and certainly in our experience, we are just coming out of an election which represents the embodiment of a process in which white evangelical Christians put Donald Trump in office with a few blacks who saw their vested interests with Donald Trump. So we have to see that that religion is the religion 
of those who serve to oppress us. I don't know what to say other than we have to understand that that is not the God of the oppressed. And that is not the African spirituality that gives us the divinity, which says we are God's children and our humanity will be expressed in its fullness by any means necessary. Now, you know what, I'm I'm glad that you ended which you just stated by the statement by any means necessary, because if you're dealing with religion, uh, especially in the diaspora here uh, that our people have been exposed to in the United States, religion tells our people by and large to forgive the oppressor and get your reward from God when you, get through the pearly gates or when you reach heaven. So our people, and especially our religious institutions and politicians that supposed to represent black people, are reluctant to make any demands on Europeans because in the back of their minds, their religion tells them to forgive Europeans. Talk about that dichotomy and how... Well, their interpretation of of the text tells them to do that. Okay. But if you start talking about reparatory justice, that is in the text. So it Most is definitely. not the religion which does that. It is the fact that we have been educated outside of ourselves to not understand who we are and what the truth of our demand is. <laughs> you know... What you just stated, Dr. Groza, is absolutely right, because if you think about even the Bible, the Bible tells people to forgive someone that has sinned against you. Uh, And if they ask for forgiveness, to forgive them. But Europeans, by and large, hasn't asked for any forgiveness. But our people tend to want to forgive them for anything they do. Uh, You know, and it kind of brings me back to when, um, when the people were shot when some of our uh, uh, elders and young people were shot in that church in Charleston, nine victims of some crazed white boy that went in there with a gun while the people uh-huh. were praying. And the people were uh, were readily uh, ready to forgive him and stated uh-huh. it clearly that they wanted to forgive this man or boy or whatever he was. So, you know, I, I'm just saying that in reference to my problems and my issues with the way our people uh, view Western religions and the way it has been taught and drilled into them and how they apply it. Right, and with each generation we have lost a sense of our grounding, of our star, of our nomo, of our understanding. But I have a mentee who was a family, whose family member was killed. And so we only heard one part of the narrative, the part that they wanted us to hear about the forgiveness. But the other part was we need to start with grieving and healing and understanding that forgiveness is not where we are and reconciliation is not where we are. We've got to first go inside and do the healing that we need to do. 
and it gets back to us taking control over our journey as opposed to acquiescing to theirs and being under the control over their agenda. But for us to do that, we've got to understand that we have to finance ourselves. We've got to create communities in ways that are self-sustaining the way that we were on a trajectory to do in the past. But we have abandoned that. Integration did a lot of destruction to us in terms of our sense of being able to believe in ourselves and to believe in our truth, to believe in our divinity, to believe in the righteousness of our claim. Let, let's go to the phones, and, and you can get involved in the conversation at 215-490-9832. Let's go to 704 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Um, is that me, uh, yeah. Brother Scotty, North Carolina? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, uh, Elliot, Reggie, and all the uh, Time for Awakening family, and to your distinguished guest, Dr. Carruthers. Greetings to you, uh, Elder. Thank you. I I have a question um, I'm trying to get some help with. I'm kind of frustrated, but at the same time, I understand why uh, this particular problem that I have observed continues to persist. So what I'm about to say, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just asking a question and expressing um, a frustration with why don't our leaders and I'm speaking, I'm not talking about anybody working for USA Inc., whether they was appointed or so-called elected, but I'm talking about our grassroots leaders. And some of our um, distinguished uh, historians and, and, you know, just all about our people. Um, my frustration is you talked earlier or the subject was brought up earlier about a narrative and I'm trying to understand why more educated, more well-read leaders are not challenging this narrative that slavery was abolished in 1865. Because when I read that four years ago, the 13th Amendment, and there was a recent documentary just came out by Ava DuVernay, and I appreciate her effort to slip some truth to the masses. But... Mm -hmm. Why aren't some of our people that should know, and perhaps they do know, not challenging this narrative that slavery was abolished when more of our people are on prison plantations than ever were on a private plantation and working and making profit for the very same companies? So what 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 should I do to 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 get some of our people who have a, a large audience to speak, to challenge that narrative. Because I think if people really knew that slavery was never abolished, they just they just transferred it through the courts to the prisons, and then you're hired out uh, to mm -hmm. whatever, you know, highest bidder or whatever, however they do it. But what can we do? Because I think if people really realized that slavery was never abolished, that we would see an abolitionist movement like we saw uh, a pre-1865 a pre slavery. Mm -hmm. Well, I understand your frustration. And I think one of the things I would say to you is that you have to define yourself as a leader and not look outside yourself 
for these other leaders to speak. And number two, we have to understand that we've got to create strategies that represent guerrilla warfare in terms of counter-narrative. We cannot, we have to be the bearers of the word step-by-step to reclaim the memory, to reclaim the concepts, to reclaim the history of our people. And it starts with all of us understanding our role as leaders. And you cannot allow yourself to get frustrated because you don't see, quote, those who are defined as leaders saying what you know to be true. But there is no doubt that the slave ships that carried us physically across the Atlantic have only been transformed into prison plantations for profit. We were a commodity then, and we're a commodity now. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate that. When I when I um, uh, read the 13th Amendment, and this is why I don't blame the masses for not knowing, because I just turned 50, so here I was at 46 years old, never chanced upon, nobody ever read to me or showed me the 13th Amendment, but I immediately knew upon reading it that slavery was never abolished, and they just put a loophole in there. So what I did was create a a radio program called New Abolitionist Radio, which airs on this very network, and and so I am am holding myself accountable and getting Mm -hmm. this out there and working Mm -hmm. with others, and we refer ourselves as New Abolitionists or just simply Mm -hmm. abolitionists working to Mm -hmm. abolish slavery for real this time. But I have reached out to uh, other people. I mean, I have a pretty sizable audience, but I can't reach everyone. And some of these other people that have outlets, I feel like, for example, for example, I'm going to put his name out there until he asks my question. Now, I know Dr. Boyce Watkins knows about the 13th Amendment because I forwarded him a petition to the White House that we have filed uh, to to address the 13th Amendment, and he passed it along to his readers. Now, that was like four years ago, maybe two, yeah, three, four years ago. So then recently he's been talking about, you know, black economics, and, and, and I believe we had to be strong in every people activity area as defined by Mr. Neely Fuller, uh, the noted counter-racist mm-hmm. author. And, mm-hmm. and so, but when I asked him why, I asked him several questions through several venues, and he will not answer. Well, it's great that you're talking about Wall Street, which was the original slave market still in existence, where these prisons are traded, they're stocked, Mm -hmm. which is actually human trafficking. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, if you're going to talk to our people about investing, you also have to talk to them about ethical investment and divestment from slavery. And he right. just won't address it, and so I'm I'm putting his name out there because I want him to address it because I know he knows slavery was never abolished. And I'll hang up now and and, and thank you, ma'am, for your your work You're to welcome. our to our people. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Scotty. Let's go to uh, seven five four area code. What's your name? Where you calling from? Seven five four area code. Seven five four going once, going twice. Let's move on to a next caller. Let's go to six 
614 area code. 614, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, this is Carlito. I'm calling from Louisiana. Uh, hi to everybody on the panel. And uh, please, I just, uh, I guess Brother, I have say, a couple say your name again. What was your name again? My name is Carlito. Carlito. Oh, go, go ahead, Carlito. Uh, I'm from Louisiana. Uh, that's where I'm at now. Uh, and I'm uh, concerned that uh, it, I, I know you guys are aware of the Joey, the Joe McKnight uh, incident. Yes. Uh, down in uh, New Orleans. And uh, I guess I'm asking, and I've noticed, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of progressive around here. Uh, but my my analysis is, um, I believe that Christianity um, or religion is the barrier that's preventing us from uniting, standing up, and you know, be uh, becoming a uh, a defense. Uh, I listened to the program earlier, and you were talking about reparations. Well, without, I mean, what leverage do we have? What leverage do we have as a people to make demands? I mean, we can't even get, um, you know, the shooter of Joe McKnight to spend the night in jail. Uh, we're looking to the system that oppresses us to give us reparations. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit too far ahead of where everybody's going, but... Isn't that just counterproductive? Um, I, I feel I feel like um, we have what it takes, but um, I've been I've been noticing a a a sense of escapism, cognitive 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 dissonance. I'm sorry, um, just a denial that I'm even African in some part. I'll just give you an example here. In Louisiana today, with all that's happened this weekend, the two trending things today was church and the Saints game. You can't you – we, we're nowhere near in the mindset or mentality to ask for reparations when we're not even asking for – Justice and you know human rights, much less civil rights, well, uh, which I think. Go ahead, I'm well, sorry, Carlita. Let uh, Dr. Carruthers address some of your concerns that you uh, spoke of, Dr. Carruthers. Well, I'm not sure um, what to say other than to suggest one is when we start talking about what's trending and you're talking about those two things. One of the things we need to do is to quit measuring. Um, what we do by what's trending. Um, we need well, to start. We we need to start understanding. I think that we need to take over communications in a way that we're not sitting watching the saints and looking at televangelism and thinking that that entertainment is going to free us. Number two, I would suggest that it is not to point to religion, we can point to every area of our lives and our professions and professionals and see where the dissonance that you're talking about, the cognitive dissonance, is equally uh, transmitted. 
And so the issue is those who consider themselves conscious coming together with a shared agenda that puts us on a trajectory where we do begin to reinvest in ourselves and create the kind of community and capital and control over the land and the resources that allows us to strategically have impact where it hurts. Okay. Um, how do we how do we get people to invest in ourselves when their total their dependence on I, I, I'll just say it their dependence on white Jesus it, it, you know when you give I think we give reparations away every Sunday how about that our black business uh, startup money we spend it every Sunday. So it's not like we don't have what it takes. We're just not in the we mindset. We spend it every to... Sunday? Yeah. Well, uh, I think we spend it every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. I, I mean, I'm, but for <laughs> one, okay, okay, the, the okay. The I mean, we spend it when we, when we spend it when we uh, are entertained. Okay, but it's what we're buying. We buy hope at church. Right. At least get a receipt and maybe some hair from the agents. See, I mean, we're we're. I, I believe that, and the reason why I said Christianity is because it's that I'm a former Christian or a believer, so I know uh-huh. what emotional uh, hold it has on you. If you think something is miraculous is going to happen and come out of the sky and just stop all of this stuff, then you're not in the mindset to be proactive in your liberation. I would agree with that, if that's what you think. I would agree with that. And if you are suggesting that that's what all black Christians think, then I think you have to go back and look at your history, and you have to find or at least be receptive to the fact that there are black Christians who don't think that. If you were to go back in history and to look at the independent institutional development that went on, if you were to go look at where we started independent schools 30 years ago, you would find that many of them were started by people of faith who were using the African spirituality that was transformed into a Christian experience in the United States as a way for them to see their divinity within sufficiently enough that they would struggle for their freedom. Right. And so right. you have Reverend Sojourner Truth, Reverend Harriet Tubman, Reverend Gabriel Proxer, uh, the Reverend Nat Turner. I mean, you go down the list. Right. But they they had a they had a uh, they had one common uh, commonality. They Which were was? they were confident and assured on what the struggle was, who the enemy is, and you know it was up to them. Those were the three things that they were sure about. Today, uh-huh. it's a different paradigm within the uh, the. Uh, but that's not just the, the church. That, and I'm just saying to you, that's just not around the church. Well, that's where most of Those our money are... goes collectively. 
I mean, I know we collectively go to Walmart, and I mean, we don't produce anything. So, of course, outside the church, but the church is the one place that we spiritually are feel obligated to well, give. Well, Car- you know, Car- Carlito, let me say this. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think a lot of the reason why some of our people feel frustrated that we're not doing anything is because they don't have access to the information that our people are doing quite a bit. But when you don't have on a widespread uh, shows of this nature, and I'm not talking about this particular show, somebody might say this particular show, but I'm talking about shows of this nature, shows of Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the brother that was just on, uh, and you got uh, uh, so-called popular media pushing syndicated shows in every city, such as a Steve Harvey or a Tom Joyner, where you got a lot of <laughs> laughing and joking and satires all the time, then a lot of our people feel as though that our people are not doing anything. But it's a lot of people out here doing yeoman work. It's a lot of black businesses out here that if people realize that they were out here, maybe they would not only invest in them, but buy from them. But we just have to form or, or get that network together, which uh, was a part of the State of the Black World Conference, where these things can be crystallized, where our people can start unifying and working with one another. It's happening now. It's happening right. now. It's a new mindset among a lot of these young people where these things are happening. And they're starting to I'm get the messages the young out. People. I'm one of the young people. I just study old history. Okay. But I'll, I'll give you an example. I can tell you about Lil Mike, but I can also tell you about John Henry Clark. Okay. You know, I can also tell you about uh, Amos Wilson. So I'm a historian. And let me just say, uh, let me just say this to you, dear. So, as a young man, so do you know about the child who painted Christ black? Uh, no, I know about. Do you the know that short the- story? Do you know that short oh. story? No, I don't. Okay, I was the executor of John Henry Clark's estate. I'm like his daughter, okay? Mm-hmm. John was a novelist and a short story writer before he was a historian. His most huh? famous short story is Autobiography, and it's called The Child Who Painted Christ Black. He wrote yeah. that before he was a teenager, was thrown out of school as a result of writing that because the county white officer came and wanted to know who was the child who painted, literally painted Christ black. And it was John who, because he was in quest for understanding the God within him looked like him, the concept of divinity was in him. As a result of that, he ended up hoboing to New York looking for Arthur Schomburg and discovered Arthur Schomburg and John Jackson. So what I'm saying to you is that that understanding of a God within, a Christian mm-hmm. experience for John Henry Clark was to drive him for a quest for the rest of his life around what it meant to be an African world person in the image of God. Mm, mm. And what that meant was that he would wake up every morning and he would commit his life to struggling for the next generation's understanding that they have a moral, spiritual obligation to seek justice for their people 
and to seek the restoration of the people. Wow. That's That's what his black Christianity and his mama's mama, mama taught him. That sent him to where you are right now. Right. I'm looking for the deacons of defense here. Uh, I want to, you know, just get some, I don't know, guidance, encouragement, knowledge, just information on where their mindset was because uh, I've done a lot of research and I don't know if they were Christian. I don't know what their spiritual See, we got to give up these. We have to stop using white labels to label one another. We've got to look and create our own language and understanding of relationships with one another that cross these boundaries using the constructs and using the mythology of our oppressor to define one another. And all we end up doing is dividing ourselves in ways that will not allow us to organize in unity. Carlito, I want to thank you for your call, man, and call again. Thank you. Let's go to 404 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? It's calling from ATL. How you doing, Elliot and uh, Mr. Roberts? Hi. How are you, sir? All right, hey, hey, uh, I wasn't gonna call in. I was listening, but Mr. Rutherford, you said something about uh, and this this go out to my brother in uh, Louisiana. See, to get reparations, remember when uh, in the sixties, you had two extremes of the movement. Dr. King was uh, the white folks love, and I would say, and then you had Malcolm on the other side. Okay, so mm-hmm. to get reparations, in my perspective, we're gonna have to have two extremes of this uh, freedom freedom quest, i.e. the scholars like you speaking, and like mm-hmm. you said something earlier about the guerrilla warfare, right? Did you say something mm-hmm. like that? Uh-huh, okay. I did. Let's go back to my brother in New Orleans, okay? I swear my hand to God, man, that that devil that shot our brother sat in there waiting on the police, these black people sitting there looking at him crying, that brother should have been dead, man. They should have took him out before the police got here. That's what we're going to have to have, man. We're going to have to have some gorillas to set this fire up on these devils. And then y'all scholars going to say, look here, these young folks are going to turn into this serious uh, freedom fighter and start taking these folks out. And you should be like, uh, you, you, I heard Dr. Small last week uh, on your show, Elliot. Yes. And he, he, I mean, he said some fire. He said some intriguing stuff, man. Well, like he said, if they take one of us out, we got to take them out, man. And, and I did some research on, on Dr. Martin, Martin Delaney. That was a bad brother, man. That's the only way we're going to have it happen. Or maybe, hopefully, when Obama leave office, the real brother's going to step up. Because that brother that sound just talked from New Orleans, I swear he sounded like uh, some kind of man, Jonah. He want the deacon of defense. He's the deacon of defense. And I told my lawyer, man, Brother Elliot, and I told Ms. Carruthers, I said, God help me. If I have been streets and I see one of my brothers and sisters get taken out by one of these devils, we got, I got them on speed dial. We got to start with justice. We got to start justice. I'm here 50, almost 60 years old. I'm old school, man. Okay, that's what we're going to have to take, man. Brothers got to wake up and start stepping up, man. Instead of sitting around arguing with women and trying to just logic. We, I'm making a disclaimer here because I don't want to you, you, you're breaking up. 
you're breaking up, but we <laughs> we got your message. Uh, you break. Go ahead. I hope y'all got the gist of it, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I appreciate what you're saying. I know what you're saying, too. You you said trying to wake these brothers up. Let's quit crying and do what it do. Do what we do, man. Okay, I'm in the spirit of Adesaline and Tucson Overture and Martin Laney and the rest of my free fighter brothers. Johnny had never had me out there when stuff like this happened, man. Because like I told you, Ellie, you know what I did, what happened now and then in Orlando. Okay, that's the way I roll it. That's what's going to have to happen, man. I don't want to take up the show, but we're going to have to put some fire on these folks to let them know. We're going to go for an eye for an eye, man. That's the only way to do it, bro. All right, I, I agree with Dr. Smalls, man. Okay, that's just the way I roll, too, man. God bless y'all, and we're going to do something. We're going to make this happen in 2017, y'all. Thank you for your call, brother. Hey, 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 Ellie and, and, and Mama Carruthers, can I, can I, because sometimes I, as I hear uh, what I'm, I'm concerned about, especially when we talk about our spirituality, you know, and, and forgive me for always using um, Kometa as our model, the point that you make in relationship to the need to be about as individuals as we develop this community development or the the self-organizing, be, being beyond the, creating the relationships with other selves that we're organizing with, because it because you know I'm I'm a concerned when we become reactionary compared to where we become proactionary and we become development towards an end that has all the mechanisms we need to protect ourselves to develop ourselves compared to just reacting to things. And I guess I'm asking when you're saying, um, Mama Crothers, about our spiritual connection that you gave. And I, I never heard um, um, Mama Clark, um, um, that the con- you know, that whole thing, the child would be painted, uh, painted Christ, like the child painted Christ. But I never heard that one before, so I appreciate that. But you, you gave him as a model of being a, not reacting, Acting from that spiritual center that was that he was given as a part of his relationship with his family, and it, I guess I'm asking, does that make sense? Because a lot of times I hear us re- getting ready to react, and we're not really talking about developing from that spiritual connection part. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think that speaks to the internal healing that we have to do because. Part of what happens when we um, often are reactionary is that we're in isolation, and 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 it's it's a culmination of the frustration, of the trauma, of the lack of support that we feel, of the inability for us to um, celebrate, um, and so we're always struggling, and we need to create crucibles and communities and spaces that are sacred and safe that allow us to do the hard work of self-critique but at the same time allow us to celebrate one another. And that is what it means to dig deep in one's spiritual fortitude and to create those circles of protection for one another that allows us to stay unified and to continue to move forward on one accord. You know, we, we're going to take a brief break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation we got about 
30 minutes left. And I, I thank you for staying over time with us, Dr. Carruthers. <laughs> but uh, we'll take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. You can get involved, too, at 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Dr. Ivor Carruthers is with us in conversation. We'll be right back. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley antiquity to the present our people need to develop a new paradigm it's time for an awakening sundays 7 p.m with your host elliot and reggie this is professor griff from public enemy people keep saying black people need to do this and black people need to do that well frankly speaking i think it's a whole lot of talk a whole lot of philosophy and a whole lot of head nodding but where is the action I'm suggesting everyone that's within the sound of my voice, we need to get on board with this National Black Economic Empowerment Movement. Let's Buy Black, 365.com. That's Let's Buy Black, 365.com. This is Professor Griffin, Public Enemy, and I'm out. Peace. Darkness no longer, a child is born. Mother shed tears of joy as baby test his lungs. 
But there is nothing where we ought to be. Somewhere in Georgia, skin and shooting caps on his knees. Another victim born out here in the hood. And based on statistics, it really ain't all good. Welfare takes the town, and daddy can't sign, and it can't be seen. The family becomes a crime. The hunt is on, and brother, you're the prey. Serving time in jail, it just ain't the way. I'm living so hard, babe, that my hair is gray. We got to make a change. It's a brand new day. A new world order, a brand new day. It's a new a day. Just marched the million plus the other day. Look, look, we all witnessed the sweat rolling down Miss Liberty's head. She knows the sleeping giant, she's no longer sleeping dead. Oh, what a fulfillment of prophecy. Let us teach the children freedom's never been free. It's okay to cry, go ahead and cry. Jesus went, but hope and faith be kept. It's a new day. A new world order, a brand new day. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. We're in conversation tonight with Dr. Ivor Carruthers. She's with us tonight talking about reflections of the State of the Black World Conference, her work on reparations, and the... Uh, the uh, workshop that she chaired on religion, spirituality, and liberation. Uh, before we go back to Dr. Carruthers and uh, Brother Richard is joining us on the line, I want to play a segment of a young man that was involved in the religion, reparations, and liberation workshop uh, for our listening audience to hear. So we are suffering from internal colonization. Well, we are not the first people to ever be colonized. We know that this country was created by colonization. So we have to make a comparative judgment, not learn the lessons of history, then you are bound to repeat them. So we look at the inception of this country, when they were being colonized and oppressed by a tyrant. They all had different religions and different philosophies, but they put those religions and philosophies and those ideologies to the side and they united in order to get that tyrant and that oppressor off of their neck. Thomas Jefferson said that governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of those ends, that it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish that government. Minister Louis Farrakhan, maybe three weeks ago, he declared our independence as a people. We have to first and foremost be honest with ourselves. Yes. We have to stop this revolutionary perfunctory. 
where we claim that we really want to be free, but we are really afraid to, to leave our oppressor and the slave master off. So, all praises due to God. So our brother Akbar talked about it yesterday. We have to easily of what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad wrote in 1961. We said we want our people in America who parents, our grandparents were descended from slaves to be allowed to establish a separate state or territory of their own, either on this continent or elsewhere. He said, since we cannot get along with them in freedom, justice and equality, after giving them 400 years of our sweat and blood and receiving in return some of the worst treatment human beings have ever experienced, we believe our contributions to this land and the suffering forced upon us should be justified in us getting our own. Praise be to God. So we have to really begin to examine of separation. It's very real. And not separating because we hate or we dislike, but our differences are irreconcilable with our oppressor and with our tyrant. They have not changed. And from the looks of things, they are not going to change. But you know, we have this anaclytic connection. You understand? To the Caucasian because he has been our primary caregiver. So we're suffering from separation anxiety. You understand? Well, we are afraid to separate from our inner. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. That was one of the young men that was involved in the religion, uh, uh, spirituality, and liberation uh, uh, workshop that uh, Sister Ivor Carruthers was chairing. Sister Carruthers, uh, I don't know whether you remember the young man's name, but it was several young people on that panel. And, uh, well, and he I, was the brother from the nation who gave me a real sense of hope for young people. It's It's wonderful to see young people who are as fired up and as uh, critical in their analysis and thinking uh, and passionate as he is and was. Um, He was almost, if you shut your eyes, a reincarnation of Malcolm. In terms, you could tell he had studied Malcolm in uh, both uh, content and intonation. Um, But I think to his point, that what the next step is is where we have to go, which is where Elijah Muhammad was also pushing us, which was to create an economic system of self-reliance and independence that would allow us to participate in a global world and in a world even within the context of these geographical states. The one thing that we do know is that this civilization as we know it is on a downward spiral. It is in a a death spiral. And the question, as Malcolm said to us a long time ago, is how do we get off of it as it is dying? And so one of the things we've got to do is to be able to have a longer-term view that allows us to say, what are we creating that we can sustain by ourselves? Because one of the challenges of multi-generations of not knowing who you are is that you wake up and the new masters look just like you. 
And we are increasingly moving towards a place where we are our own worst enemy. Wow. And so what this young brother represents to me was a young brother who had done enough study, who was disciplined enough to acquiesce to the mentorship that you could see he was engaged in, and who was asking the right set of questions. It is better not to have the answer to the right questions than to have the answers to the wrong ones. (laughs) And so... He brought forth, I think, the perspective of Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm and Minister Farrakhan that we have got to address. Dr. Carruthers, and I noticed that that some of the uh, uh, workshops that I viewed had Mm -hmm. a cross-section of young people and elders together, which is different than you see on a lot of these other uh, meetings and things of that nature. And the young people were really involved in really presenting. So, you know, that's why I wanted to play that segment for the listening audience because it was a, it was a, a young lady up on the panel also that was almost as strong as him. But, it, I mean, they were really involved in what was going on and really... The young lady that was on the panel was the young lady that I was talking about who is one of my daughters in ministry, and it was her cousin who was shot in Emmanuel. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Okay. All right. And I had invited her to um, have Ron Daniels have her on the radio show, and he has just uh, fallen in love with Reverend Waltrina. Okay. But... Um, we know that every generation has to find its own <laughs> And we as elders have got to surround them and support them and facilitate as they do that. As, as I'm talking to you, I'm getting a text from another young lady who is asking me right now because she's getting hate mail for the kinds of positions she's taken, what should she do in terms of getting um, security? So we are in some dangerous times, Mm -hmm. and if we don't come together and create this intergenerational community that we're talking about, that you're speaking to, then we are just going to become easier and easier targets for um, the genocide that we confront. Dr. Carruthers, you know, I, I watched the rest of the presentation of the mm-hmm. initial statements of the uh, Religion, Spirituality, and Liberation uh, Workshop. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Willie Wilson, at the end of his, and uh, out of Washington, D.C., at the end right. of his uh, presentation, he mentioned that we need to drop these religious labels and yeah. and understand and retrieve our African spirituality. And that was powerful from a man that's a Christian minister, uh, but he's a conscious Christian minister, I'll put it that way. Talk about, in your estimation, how if our people start to look into and retrieve an African spiritual view, how it could change our whole outlook on how we not only view the Almighty, but view ourselves. Well, we can go back to Kemet. I mean, you know, I've stood... (laughs) on the grounds of Kemet and, and, and seeing, you know, the books of Proverbs 
<laughs> okay, inscribed. So what we need to understand is that we gave the world Christianity. It just came back to us in a way that was wrapped differently <laughs> by our oppressors in order to be used to oppress us. But our intuitive sense, as as, uh, as Cecil Cone said, we had a pre-understanding about Christianity that comes out of our African spirituality that allowed us to adapt what they gave us and to create the sacred story that would allow us to revolt and resist using their very text and scriptures that they were giving us to further enslave us. So my point is that all we have to do is to go back and rediscover who we used to be in order to understand the divinity that will allow us to move forward. And that's the Sankofa process, to go back so that you understand where you are so that you can create the future. And the labels and the language that white people have put on us that we have adopted and adapted get in the way of that process. Okay. Brother Richard? Yeah, I was I was saying, Mama Crothers, that one thing you know when you use the power or the symbol of our civilizational connection, it was community because all. It, and I'm, I'm going to do it this way, you know. Each one of us carry that power of spirit, but one thing yeah. that commit shows us is that when you have that as a collective uh, entity of community, the power of creativity. When you say being able to have create a civilization, to be a people, what you can be able to produce, the genius that you can be able to produce, to produce things that even now can't be fathomed or how a people could be able to do that. I, I, I kind of get excited because I believe that we, it's not we have a disconnect, that we're, each generation, we're, we're here. We, we're here. It's just a matter of becoming knowing each other. I mean, I was really moved by what you said about the sister calling for security because you heard brothers who said they, they, they're prepared, and I'm hoping they're hearing that our community, is, we're already here, and all we have to do is keep reconnecting, keep relearning, and keep bringing together what is necessary to deal in this hostile environment that each generation recognizes that we've learned something different. Right, because this hostile environment teaches us to be dehumanized and to live in the belly of God, to believe in ma'at, means that justice is at the center of what it means to be human. How you relate to other people is the affirmation of what it means to be human. It's not about the acquisition of your wealth and the capacity to demonize and dehumanize and commodify other people, but it is, in fact, the ability to relate to another human being in the spirit of ma'at or Ubuntu, which means I am because we are. It's the relational. It is the communal that defines our capacity to be human in the way that God would have us to be. 
Dr. Carruthers, hey. I, I want to thank you for staying overtime with us tonight, for sharing with us. Uh, it was a pleasure having you with us this evening. And, and before we leave tonight, if you want to give any messages, anything that you want to share with the listening audience, uh, the floor is yours. Well, I would only say that I think that the call that we all have right now is to understand that the work we're called to do is sacred work. And a lot of it, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference is doing as sacred memory work. It is the work of going back to keep those sacred fires going to find that strength in the spirituality of generations who have gone before to understand the sacrifices that they have made so that we can do what we do right now in order to create the future generation who will stand on their divinity in the fullness of their humanity. And so I join your listening audience and hope that each and every one who has ears and who has heard will figure out how they can contribute even more so to the collective call that we are about the business of doing as we organize our communities and as we think differently about how we spend our resources in relationship to saving ourselves. Wow. <laughs> Powerful. Thank you. Dr. Carrollo, I, I want to thank you for being with us this evening, and I'll talk to you thank soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, peace. We'll be right back. are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated.
before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening. Sundays, 7 p.m., with your hosts, Elliot and Reggie. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. As many of you know, uh, last March, when it was announced that I was no longer in the black Muslim movement, it was pointed out that it was my intention to work among the 22 million non-Muslim Afro-Americans and to try and form some type of organization or create a situation where the young people, our young people, the students and others, could study the problems of our people for a period of time and then come up with a new analysis and give us some new ideas and some new suggestions as to how to approach a problem that too many other people had been playing around with for too long. And that we would have some kind of meeting and determine at a later date, whether to form a black nationalist party or a black nationalist army. There have been many of our people across the country from all walks of life who have taken it upon themselves to try and pool their ideas and to come up with some kind of solution to the problem that confronts all of our people. And tonight we are here to try and get an understanding of what it is they've come up with. The economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we should own and operate and control the economy of our community. You would never find, you can't open up a black store in a white community, white man won't even patronize you. And he's not wrong. He's in, he got sense enough to look out for himself. And you, you don't have sense enough to look out for yourself. white man, the white man is too intelligent to let someone else come and gain control of the economy of his community. But you will let anybody come in and control the economy of your community. Control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the businesses uh, under the pretext that you want to integrate. No, you're out of your mind. The political, the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, 
the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer. The community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes, who have been misled and misguided, are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man, the man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com to complain about poor housing in a run-down community. Why, you run it down yourself when you take your dollar out. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening, and I want to thank our guest that was with us this evening, <laughs> activists, and uh, as Brother Richard says, she's been on the f fighting on these, uh, this front for a long time in the vineyards, toiling for quite a while. Dr. Ivor Carruthers was with us. Interesting discussion tonight, Brother Richard, with uh, Dr. Carruthers. It keeps moving us forward, uh, continuing to move us forward, and um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a part, um, even though I'd be glad when Reggie get, get here, but um, because this, you know, this dialogue and what he was saying about, you know, from, from the spiritual perspective, from that internal, from that healing perspective, that we can do this. I know it. That we have to do this, that we're, you know, and it, it's just uh, powerful to, that we need that reinforcement. You know, some of us have a tendency to kind of look out and say, well, I don't see this being done. Nobody's doing it. But she's right. When she spoke to the other caller, I think that called from um, Ohio, I think, we, that we, we have to be uh, that we have to be the leader that we're looking for. Right. And, uh, you know, if, if, join a group. Start your own. Get out here. You got it's, it's something for us to do. It's, it's plenty of work for all of us to do, and we can make a difference. And it's going to happen. Whether we be a part of that change is the only thing that's in, up in the air. And, and as you say, you know, recognizing this is a part of it, if we recognize that this is a part of it, as you say, not religion but spirituality, where each one of us are is where we are in the spiritual development of ourselves from our overall community, not somebody else's community, but from our community. And we have to be clear of where we are. So if we're still students, we do we our work is to continue to learn as students. If we're still if we are organizers, our work is to continue to make our organizational effort better. If we're to, to be able to foster the trades, you know, is to be able to make sure that we have be are being ethnically ethical in relationship to our trade that we do with each other. But we're all a part of the continuum of this spiritual di direction that makes us community, because our community isn't just us individual. Community is us. Our spiritual community is us as we identify each other, which you said about relationships, and make us a, having that connection with each other. So, it's yes, we're, we're definitely going in that direction, and that keeps us positive and centered and making sure we stay in our historical, true to our historical selves. Yes, and I want to thank uh, not only Dr. Carruthers, thank Brother Richard, and thank the listening audience for being with us this evening. Lively discussion, as always, and we'll be back next week, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace.
to save the children. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.